Thanks to Arcat for sponsoring this episode of Arcaspeak. And it is summer, which means it's time for growth, renewal, and adjustment. We're not just talking about your failed New Year's resolution. We're talking about building products. Manufacturers are removing, adjusting, and adding products on their catalogs to meet the standards of an evolving industry. That means your old CAD, BIM, and specifications might need updating. Luckily, RCAT works with manufacturers to get their newest information online, so you know you are getting the latest and greatest from building product companies. Best of all, the data is free for you to browse and download. You don't even have to register. So check out RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. The next time you need the latest building product information. Hey, Cormac, just real quick. I think you should record it yeah. again, but take a step back because it, it, it clipped when you when you started. Okay. I think, I think you're getting a little excited. I think you need to settle down. Take it down a notch. Well, hell. <laughs> How's this? Yeah, that's better. good. Good position? Yeah, yeah that's right. good. Best of all, the data is free for you to browse and download. You don't even have to register. So check out rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. The next time you need the latest building product information. Mm -hmm. I think that one was better. All right, so Bimbop. Is that? I'm sure you'll tell us. I can tell you, yeah. Bop? Bimbop. I don't know why it's called that, but. Well, it is definitely not a Korean mixed rice and meat and assorted vegetables. No, it's not bimbap bap <laughs> or whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Bebop bap. Okay. All right, so let's wrap up this series on technology. I think one of the things that we we obviously just did the the AIA show <clears throat> and we saw a lot of technology there and then the BIMBOP, the USC BIMBOP, I talked about it in our last episode, just kind of letting people know about it um, because it actually it was two, the, the first of the AIA episode series um, because that was right before the event actually happened. So at USC, once a year, there's two people who, who are in the architecture department, Karen Kenzik and Doug Noble, and they put on an event, a conference called the BIMBOP. And I'm not sure why it's called that, but... It sounds fun and exciting. Well, there you go. I mean, and that's all you need, right? So, <laughs> you, don't you sort of have to make BIM sound fun and exciting it's for fun people to come to you? Do. Name, so. so, so it's a technology yeah. conference, and it it happens once a year, uh, and it's only fifty five bucks to go to this thing. So, like, it's pretty amazing. They they actually attract some really great speakers, and if I don't say so myself, boom, 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 and they. Um, Why did you mention that? And they, hi, yeah, and I'm not talking about the kind of speaking that I did there, but the actual, uh, like the 30-minute speakers that lead up to this event. It's usually practitioners, so it's rarely uh, a software vendor or somebody who works for a software company, although at this last one, they did have one of those. Um, it's it's typically practitioners or consultants for AEC, and uh it's so so everybody that like there's no real agenda there they're really just about sharing information and i think that that's what's probably most refreshing about something like this is is you're not trying to be sold on something you're more likely being shown something that's worked for them it's usually kind of 
right on the cutting edge, right? Because everybody has seen the, the, the stuff we've done over and over again, the, the more mundane stuff, you know, ad nauseum. So this is really about showing kind of the latest. And so I'm not sure how they find the speakers. I mean, they must just talk to their students and say, who are you watching online? Because that <laughs> to me is really what's going on. They're, they really are pulling kind of the the cream of the crop kind of speakers or practitioners out there who are doing high tech stuff. Is it more of a local localized California or is it a national event or I would say that like attendee wise it's localized. Um, but I mean, I did talk to one of our listeners who drove down from Santa Clara. So up in Neil's region, he drove about five hours to get there. So he left at three in the morning <laughs> to get <Wow>. there <clears throat> And uh, he, he actually developed software himself, and uh, he's he's developed a really cool Revit plugin. I guess I could give him a quick plug. It's his website is aiprentice.com, and he's using AI to kind of predict really simple stuff in a Revit model, like what lines you should dimension to, or what lines in your model have not yet been dimensioned. Hmm. And I think it's a, a pretty cool little thing because it highlights the lines, the edges of walls, the edges of slabs, whatever it is. It'll do like one category at a time. And it'll highlight them in red if they have not been dimensioned. So as a QA kind of a check, you could run this plugin and say, did my, did my modeler actually dimension the walls on the plans and then it will let you know if they have been dimensioned and as you dimension them the little red lines turn off so it's kind of a little dimensioning guide if you will if you you know like think it. about I'm it that way so looking at the site right now and um so it's a very simple tool but... right now so yeah hmm. <laughs> somebody somebody yeah yeah so uh you can download the plugin right there and give it a try it's pretty cool so yeah, I mean, attendee-wise, it is pretty localized, I would say, but but speaker-wise, uh, it's hard to say. I think most of the people this year came from local, but, I mean, they've had speakers. I went last year as well. Last year was the first year that I went, and uh, they had Nate Miller from Proving Ground. I think he's in Oklahoma, you know, so um, they do pull wider than Southern California region. So, I mean, this... I, I think. I mean, before the show, you know, you and I were talking about um, how a lot of times a lot of the conferences, especially that you go to, or even stuff that we send our um, our office to, tends to be more manufacturer based. And something yeah. like this sounds actually far more exciting um, because you know you're taking the stuff that either other people are working on. Uh, you know, architecture practitioners that are working on and, and actually seeing them in practice and, and being able to understand what is going on in the world as it's used by the practitioners rather than as it's being dictated by the, um, you know, by the different manufacturers and stuff. And so I, I, I yeah. really think things like this sound far more exciting to me because, um, you know, this started to grow you as a, I don't know what, I mean, how would you use that? And it would be much better to listen to architects tell us how they use it. Yeah, and I think a lot of it, there's still like that secret sauce kind of aspect to it. It's like, yeah, we're making this work and this work and this work. And you're like, yeah, but how are you making that work? And that would obviously take much longer to explain. So they don't have the time to do that. 
seriously, the sessions are 25 minutes long. So again, to kind of reinforce what you just said about the interest, right? Like it, it moves fast. And I'm just counting right now. They had basically three speakers per session and they had two rooms going at the same time. So it moved fast. I'm And I'm just looking. So basically they had two tracks. So two different rooms. Track A was really aimed at, I would say, larger firm kind of high tech, big project kind of stuff. And then track B was much more aimed at residential, landscape, smaller offices, things like that. Um, so I mean, I really do think that there's something for anybody and it's not just like you're going to either preach to the choir, which could be the case if you're a larger firm or just Google at the high tech stuff. Mm -hmm. Like there actually is practical things. I think no matter what size your firm is to grasp onto there. Um, so, so lots of, so like I said, three speakers per block basically. And then they had three blocks so that's nine speakers in a room um, throughout the day. And then they ended it with um, 10 speakers that got five minutes each. And that was one of the time slots that I got. So it really is super fast paced at the end. Like it can actually be stressful to listen to those speakers because they're talking so fast because you only get five minutes. And then some of the other speakers just didn't have as much to cover and they worked at a more uh, like... I don't know, just it wasn't as stressful to listen to some of those speakers, but some of them just talk so fast and they had they had very little time to do it. And, and it was just like you could feel yourself tensing up for them. Are they going to make it? <laughs> Are they going to finish in time? Because they actually do keep time. Karen was there with her stopwatch. Oh, and as people see, makes got closer to the five minutes, she starts approaching them slowly one step at a time because I think this is why she calls it the bim bop because she likes to bop people off the stage <laughs> if they take too long, <laughs> if they take more than their five minutes. So um, I could talk a little bit about there a hook? some of the, yeah, no, she would actually just go like push you off. Oh. So, <laughs> um, and it, you know, it's just a, it's a USC lecture room. So there's probably mm, 150, 200 people per room, I would say something like that. Um, so there's pretty good size audience, you know, three big projector screens that are all showing the same thing, which I think is a little overkill for this size of a room. Um, but it's impressive. And, um, you know, a podium with a, oh. with a microphone. So, you know, it's I can, be flashy, I'll throw right? a picture. I'll throw a picture of it in the show notes. I took a few pictures from my seat in the audience. Um, so basically the, I went to track a, which is the larger firm stuff. And, and I was texting you guys as I was there because the first two projects that were shown off, first one was the Las Vegas stadium. And the second one was the Rams stadium. Las um, Vegas stadium for what? For the, the Las Vegas Raiders. No comment. <laughs> it's inevitable. When are they opening? Las Vegas Raiders? Oh. Weren't yeah. they in Oakland? Were they in on. Oakland? <laughs> it's, very, it's a very sad day. Uh, so, <clears throat> yeah, HNTB, uh, Stephanie from HNTB, I, I don't know how, I don't know what her last name was, but she presented basically, and this is the total theme for large firms, and I think your firm probably feels this, my firm's definitely feeling this, Cormac, is the the whole uh, data interoperability thing. And that was really like the theme for the day. It's pretty amazing how many sessions are still dedicated to this kind of 10-year-old problem of hmm. getting 
models from one package program to another. Oh my gosh! Yes. Without losing information, right? And that's yes. really like everybody's um, sore spot has been for a long time. And a lot of people say, "What? What's the problem?" You know, I just export from my favorite whatever tool and I import into the other one. And that's really not what this is about. This is not about exporting and importing, but it's more about like live data transfer mm -hmm. between things. So it's. I think what's important now to say instead of moder model interoperability is data interoperability. And so it's really kind of about streamlining how elements move from one package to another without having to redraw them and classifying them properly so that so that they're BIM, right? So that they actually have information attached to them and they're schedulable or calculable or, or something um, where that's really kind of the, the new level of standard that everybody's kind of expecting but it's still a little bit elusive out there so like the i would say the theme for most people were talking about the the magic formula that they've cooked up to get models to go from rhino to revit and um i think it like I, again it's just kind of funny that this is still the main topic that this really hasn't been figured out by the major players out there um, and I'll just throw a little caveat in there because one of the presenters um, was Rhino, the Rhino people, mm -hmm. and um, and they actually have a solution for this finally. But Autodesk is not addressing this um, nearly as well as Graphisoft has, and those are really the two big BIM players in the market, right? We've got Revit and we've got Archicad, um, right. where Archicad actually went to McNeil a few years ago and basically built interoperability between grasshopper and archicad with sp specific tools so that you could have it talk both ways and autodesk has never done that autodesk actually went and wrote its own visual programming side which is called dynamo and they really seem you know autodesk is autodesk they they want to own it all they want to and i'm sure that they've tried to buy mcneil several times and mcneil is not interested in selling and just mcneil is the developer of rhino um, and it just, Rhino seems to be the industry standard for conceptual modeling because it's just a really great geometry creation tool. And it has a visual programming language called Grasshopper that allows you to build your own tools on top of it. And it's really approachable. Like student, and I think that's probably the first thing that really came out of this conference that, you know, this wasn't news to me, but I think it's great for everybody to hear is that Students are coming out of college now, architecture school, knowing how to do this, visual programming, knowing how to do coding. And we've talked kind of loosely about that before, and I don't think people really understand the impact of that. Um, the impact of that is that we can write our own tools, and we don't have to wait for a software company to do it. And I think that that's been proven over the last decade, time and time again, that architects are capable of writing their own tools in programming languages very easily, very quickly. Um, this is not magic. It's not voodoo. It's, it, it's just, it's totally accessible. And students are now the ones who are going to be pushing that because they're learning it in school. So that's done with Rhino Grasshopper or Revit Dynamo. Um, but still this whole interoperability thing, is definitely like the theme du jour because everybody's talking about it. So that that's what they were talking about with the Las Vegas Stadium. Um, they were showing their design, you know, the big black. It looks like a bike helmet, right? Like it's a, yeah. but it's pretty amazing. It's got a, it's got a, I, I don't know what the roof material is, but it's a clear roof. 
um, but it's a solid um, stadium and it's a real turf field. The turf field rolls out on rollers so that it can get sun during the day and then it rolls back into the stadium. Um, like the whole one whole end of the stadium opens up. The columns retract from under the seats. The seats basically allow this field to pass under it because these columns retract somehow. <laughs> I mean, it's like a transformer of a building. It's yeah. really cool. You know, I, I mean, not to get sidetracked on to building types and stuff, but I saw, I think I saw that for the first time with the uh, uh, Cowboy Stadium. And, you know, it's just amazing the expense that they go to to have basically a turf, you know, a live grass field um, for a domed stadium. Yeah. It's just yeah. amazing. I mean, just the actual, like, as you're, you know, pointing out, the gymnastics of the structure and the technology right. to basically slide the floor in and out of the building, um, you know, on off days is just amazing that, you know, like we're even thinking about that. But it is Vegas, right? So you have you basically have to do something like this. I think it's required. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and, and what, what's so funny about it is like, yeah, we've got to have real turf, right? We've got to have real natural grass inside this stadium. But we want a solid dome stadium because it's so freaking hot here, uh, right? Yeah. But, you know, in turn, they make a solid dome stadium in a very hot location, as we mm -hmm. just recently uh, witnessed. Right. And then paint it black. Right. <laughs> I was wondering about that, too. It's like, really? But but it is Vegas. Like, it, it's about excess. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, they are going to air condition that thing because <laughs> that's what they do out there. And uh, what's interesting to me beyond beyond the structural gymnastics of it and, and the like the functional, the weird functions that we just talked about is I think some of the more progressive stuff that they're doing where – one whole end of the stadium like slides open these giant sliding like aircraft hangar doors so that like they've got this party deck up there and it's natural uh, ventilation and it, yeah I'm sure it depends on the weather and all that kind of stuff so there's more gymnastics than just the field sliding out mm -hmm. and then that whole area that the field slides out into is kind of their tailgate party area right um, because they they only have 50% of the parking required for a stadium of this size compared to traditional stadiums because they fully expect those 50% of people to use ride sharing to get there. So Lyft and Uber, right? There's a big drop-off zone. People aren't driving their own cars and I think, you know, this this is one of the first architectural projects I've seen that is thinking farther ahead than anybody else like that because we're all still building giant parking lots in our schools and in our healthcare projects. Um, when the case, it, it, the trends are definitely showing that autonomous vehicles, rideshare are really becoming more normal um, for the younger generations, right? So um, they're definitely kind of planning on that. And Vegas already has those those things in place in a, in a pretty high number. So it makes sense there maybe to be the leader of, of doing something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, but functionally and like programmatically, I just think it's more interesting as a, as a project typology that is changing um, that that also generates so many dollars, that also generates so many, you know, gets so many eyeballs on it. Like, there's so many things at play here. I think they really are trying to take advantage of it from multiple angles. So, so it was a fun project to see. But I mean, the presentation wasn't really about the program of the, right, the stadium. Right, right. It was more about just this data interoperability thing. Um, 
And so the next project that they showed was the Ram Stadium. And so we're, we're staying on the same project topology. So, so real quick to kind of pull it back to, you know, uh, how software, while talking about both of them, I mean, what, what was kind of like striking about the, um, the use of software in, in this project typology? Well, I think what's interesting, like the presenter for the from HNTB, she was definitely a student of the the one of the conference organizers previously, mm-hmm. uh, Karen. So, so Stephanie was a student of Karen, and she was like, "I wanted to show this off because Karen taught me the fundamentals of this." And then, she, basically, Stephanie was able to take it to the next level. So, the fundamentals of it are you're modeling. Okay, so when you're modeling anything in in Rhino or um, SketchUp, let's just even say, right? Like every piece of geometry that we draw is bounded by points or lines, Mm -hmm. right? And so basically what everybody's doing is they're deconstructing the elements that they're drawing down to those most basic, basic elements, not worrying about how many sides the shape has to it, not worrying about the height of it or anything necessarily it's more about just like the most basic geometrical properties right points and lines vertices and edges and then translating the coordinates of those between one package and another so that the other package just basically picks up where that one left off and say i'm going to rebuild that element in my own native geometry from those points and lines and so in revit you might have heard of adaptive components and adaptive components are basically a plane that is defined by points. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it can be three three points, right? That makes a triangle. Four points makes a rectangle. Five points, and you start to get into, you can have as many points as you want. I mean, you want to keep it within reason. Um, so you might have a three-point, a four-point, a five-point, and a six-point kind of a, a family in Revit that's that's designed out of these adaptive components. And so basically by... By using Rhino and Grasshopper to define the locations of those points for those elements, spit it into Excel, pull Excel through Dynamo into Revit, and it assigns those coordinates back to those points, and it builds geometry out of them. Hmm. So it, it it might sound simple, it might sound complicated, depending on how much you know about the software. I mean, but what's interesting? To, well, I mean, yeah, it's. it's I get it, right? I, I totally get it. And it and it makes more sense to s- when you see it than when you hear it, for sure. Um, and I think that goes for almost anything that I'm going to talk about today. So I encourage you all to go to the BIMBOP next year. But it's definitely one of those things where it's when you break the principles down to the fundamentals and say uh, all they're doing is, is taking the coordinates of the locations of the edges of this thing over here, putting those into Excel because Excel reads numbers, right? and formatting them in a way that the other package can read, and it'll just rebuild the geometry over there. So if I move the thing in Rhino, the coordinates update. Hmm. And then Revit can read the updated coordinates and just move the things into their new position. So the beauty of this, and why everybody goes through this kind of painful interoperability process, is because it's way easier to move stuff around in Rhino than it is in Revit. Way easier. Like, everybody knows that if you wanted to move your whole building 10 feet in Revit, like you don't just select all the elements and move it, right? It doesn't work. Everything's constrained to each other. Um, There's things that are hidden, that things are locked to, and it's super complicated, right? You would rather just like move the coordinate system in the file than 
select all the elements and move the building. But in Rhino, it's super easy. You just select everything and move it. So if everything is based on actual coordinates, it actually makes it way easier mm-hmm. to do this interoperability thing. And that that's like a, an extreme example of moving a whole building. But let's just say your curtain wall was a curving curtain wall, and then you need to change the shape of it. Like, it's a pain in the ass to brute force remodel all those elements, right? Yes, yes, it is. And so why not just have a spreadsheet do it for you? And that's really the idea behind that. Because on a on a stadium project, the entire skin of the building is a curtain wall. It's different panel types. It's different mullion types. It's glazed. It's louvered. It's solid panel. It's, it's all these different things. And guess what? That design probably changed 50 times. Is it really worth remodeling it from scratch 50 times? Or is it better to spend the time up front developing a script that's just going to allow that model to fluently update between the two packages it's way better to to invest the time in the scripting so again this is what students are coming out of school fundamentally understanding how to do and the practical application might be different on each project but it's it's totally doable that students know how to do this and there's definitely courses online where people can learn how to do this um so I, i think that pretty much covers like most of the conference, most of the conference was about interoperability like that. Um, and so the Ram Stadium, which was, I think HKS is the designer of that, but mm-hmm. the structural engineer was presenting at this time. Which... And I thought that that was interesting, right? Because they're definitely pushing the technology because they have to... I think what's so interesting is working... What What is it like to work with a structural engineer who is pushing technology and pushing ideas like this to the forefront, it shows me that they really want to work with architects that have great design, you know? Well, I mean, it's also looking at, you know, the inevitable, well, not the inevitable future, the inevitable now, which is, you know, this, this fully, uh, interactive modeling, um, process, you know, and as you're saying, the, 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 I guess something that we've been plagued with for, you said a decade, but you know, something that seems to be some, a nut that we have not cracked yet is, you know, the, not the, easy. Yeah. It's not easy enough. Right. Is the, you know, uh, the data oper operability. What was it? Interoperability. Interoperability. Yep. Yes. Going between the packages. Yeah. And, and that is, you know, I mean, just in the basic form of like, you know, say me using BIM 360 for, you know, using it and, you know, I'm always having to beg and plead people to publish their models and things like that. You know, I mean, that's at a very general basic, like, you know, just functionality on, on like project management side of things versus like the fact of like what quality information are you actually getting out of all of this stuff that's, you know, you're getting. So I think, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm dealing with woes that are just not real woes that you're talking about. Um, uh, but you know, yeah, I mean, as I yeah, said, when it's you're a- talking about, you're, you're begging your consultants to publish their models so that you can push the consume button or whatever on BIM 360, right. So that yeah. you can see their latest information. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> that's, that's a bigger coordination job. What I'm talking about is doing that exact same thing, but internally, right? right? Like right, right. your design team is designing the thing and you want to see the latest in the, in the model and the, what we'll call like what I'm calling the BIM, right? Like mm-hmm. 
but when I say model, that's what I mean, right? right like you've right. got a production team who's putting views on sheets and they're dimensioning things and tagging things and saying what those things really are. Like, are they concrete stem walls? Are they curtain walls? Like, what are they? Right. right. And, and you want to see the latest because the design's changing. And I can't, I don't work on projects like this. That's like a stadium. I could only imagine like the iterative nature of how fast the design changes yeah, oh is gosh, probably yes. daily uh, in those early stages. And so you, that's why they're spending the time to come up with these scripts to be able to to do those kinds of huge changes on the fly, um, where not everybody sees the need for that. But I think there's way more practical uses too. So it's interesting to me that like the first presentation was an architect and the second presentation was an engineer, and they're talking about exactly the same thing, um, and and they're also talking about it in the same way. They're talking about how basically they're using the most basic level of data through Excel to move objects, right? And and so it's kind of mind-numbing to look at that spreadsheet, but the spreadsheet's never designed to actually look at. <laughs> um, it's just it's, it's just an intermediary. It's an intermediary between the packages. Right. And, uh, and so they basically come up with their entirely own proprietary program to basically make sure that all those elements are making it from one package to another. And they're not just talking about Rhino to Revit, right? They've got Tecla and they've got these, all these different analyses packages that they've got to run the, the structure through to make sure that the deflections and the wind loads and the, right, the seismic right. and all these things, they're, they're doing all these different analyses and they have different programs for, for some of those. And so, they're running their stuff through multiple applications before it gets to Revit. Um, so for them, it's even more extreme in that way because mm-hmm. they have to make sure everything can see, can read this format. Um, and so I thought, again, though, it was very bringing it down to its basic nature of where are the points located. Um, and what's interesting to me was material choices. I mean, I after the... The conference, I, I dropped my friend off at the airport who flew in to, for the conference from Sacramento. And he, uh, like off to the side of the 105 freeway is the new Ram Stadium under construction. It's like down in Inglewood, right? So um, you can see it and it's got, I think the guy said it has, he goes, we've been told it has the largest crane, right? Like <laughs> it does have the largest crane um, to, to put this thing together. But, he, but the structure is kind of this big hoop <clears throat> and it has... It's again. It's a. It's an enclosed dome, but it's an EFTE thin membrane dome across the top. Right. <clears throat> so he said it's one percent the weight of glass. So wow, crazy, right? Yeah. Like, so the structure yeah. is super thin, but it also moves. It moves quite a bit, and I thought that was what was more interesting about this presentation was they talked about how they're solving for this kind of moving geometry as it flexes and moves around. And he said, basically, you know, visualize it like a tennis racket. The structure yeah. is this, yeah. is this net, this grid of cables that are supported by thin structure. And then the EFTE kind of moves across the top of it, like a piece of paper over a tennis racket. Um, and it, it looked like from the drawings, like there were some giant ball bearing kind of things up there that allow it to kind of move without having any kind of, uh, friction between the surfaces so pretty crazy building technology i mean and again you know i'll go back to not you know derailing the thing but and i'm looking at images of the the ram stadium and, and i remember looking at it um because i did see it when i was out uh in california like just a couple of weeks ago and i i saw the construction um going on 
and, you know, never really looked at what the final product was, but to look at how thin and very membranish the roof structure looks like. Yeah, it's real simple you know, skin. It real simple skin. It's almost like light space frame type element with a very just thin kind of layer of, you know, like like tendony membrane over the top of it. And it's just you look at it and you're like, how that Yeah. And thinking about like how we do you know, large spans and things like that and we're always just like, How the hell are things like this going to even happen? And it's just amazing the kind of technology that we that we put into things like this, the stadiums and such, you know, whether it's the let's roll the grass field out or let's have this, you know, amazing uh, roof structure system that you almost say only in California could you get something like that to happen because right. they're, you know, they spend I'm really more surprised, time, I mean, like, I even, that they could even pull it off here because, <sighs> I mean, it still gets hot. It still well, gets I mean, really just, hot. Right? So, like, you know, and, and I <laughs> But then we, all, we do have seismic that, events. You know, As again, I felt last night, the 7.1 that hit that's, Death Valley. That's where I was going is, is, you know, now you've got this massive long span roof that, you know, the way that roof it, yeah not opening roof yeah roof that yeah. you know it it's spanning an entire both the you know longitudinal and latitudinal directions of the football field and all of the seating and everything else that's surrounding it and yep. it's just this 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 beautiful just sheet of like transparency over the top of them and it's perfectly structured and and then you think okay so how does that work with you know these the seven you said seven point two, seven point one. Okay, seven point one, and I, then last I checked, and then the other one was uh, six point six point six. Yeah, I mean, a couple of days ago. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, and you have these, and so obviously you're going to have transference of <laughs> of all of that shaking and stuff into this big, massive, long span roof. And I look at it, and each of them are kind of like pin connections at every joint. And so you almost think of it as flexible like, by design, yeah. you know, put your hands together and, you know, just kind of like form like a roof or something like that, and then just move it around. And you almost picture that's the kind of flexure that this, this roof has based off of, you know, just the, the, the sheer notion that it's, you have to design it to move because yeah. the ground you're standing on will move. And that, you know, there are base isolation techniques, and I'm sure that they're doing some stuff like that, too, where the whole building just kind of sits still while the earth around it moves. (laughs) It's a, there's a lot of ways to do it, but expensive ways to do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm I'm sure this was not a cheap uh, structure. And no, you know, where, whereas this one, what, what's interesting about this is, you know, and I, again, off the rails here a little bit, but you think about the structure you think about this particular application of a stadium in Los Angeles, you know, you've got the ground moving, you've got all of these other things. And, and so you're going to be spending a lot of your, the cost in the structure and how to mitigate those uh, seismic um, reactions. And then in turn, you've got a, let's just call it a slightly more stable um, application at, in Vegas, but you have to deal with the elements of the heat and everything else. And so, you know, you're spending just tons and tons of unseen money on the structural or environmental responses to, you know, the, the client, the indoor climate and all this other stuff. And so everybody's sitting there and they're looking at, 
you know, the Rams play or the Raiders play or whoever play in these stadiums. And nobody ever has any concept of like the amazing technology or in the amazing, like imaginative um, engineering that goes into the house of the Rams. I, yeah, I think, I think you could use an analogy like your phone, right? Like it's this no. thing that sits in your pocket that yeah. has an amazing amount of engineering and technology and, and, it's all about what shows up on the glass. That's all that matters, right? Yeah, exactly. The technology is trying to get out of the way. And it's the same with these stadiums. Like the, the actual stadium is trying to get out of the way so that you can have the most enjoyable moment watching the thing on the field happen. Um, but that, it, or it's kind of like Disneyland, right? Like how much thought goes into making Star Wars land so that you don't see the other sections of the park, like the sight lines, right. the, the, the set design, that making you feel like it's it's intimate, but it's also big, like it's this whole world. Like, like there's so many things that go into that just so that you can have this experience. Uh, it, it is a really amazing experiential design, you know, behind it that that is way more than just the architecture or the the built thing. So yeah, it's like it's like the sum of all those things together. So right. and that's I think we're, that's what we're talking. We've always talked about like that's where the value of the architect actually comes in. Right. Right. Is is creating. It's not just a thing that houses a, a program, any program. It's the thing that is specific for you guys, mm -hmm. takes it to the next level, creates a mood, creates an environment. It just it takes it beyond the built thing. The, one of the cool like directions that this conference went after talking about stadiums for a while was the, the third presentation in the first, the first section was by... Scott Davidson from Robert McNeil and Associates, who are the creators of Rhino and Grasshopper, and and so they were there just to kind of talk. Like the 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 title of his was called "The Fall of the Monolithic," and I thought, oh man, they want to talk about taking down Autodesk, right? That's the monolithic, but actually, <laughs> it was much more subtle than that. It was talking about the monolithic is is talking about like closed versus open systems and so a, a monolithic is a closed system where you try to do everything under one in, in one package and and i i don't know about you guys there's always somebody in the office who's like why don't you do it all in this right why don't you would just save so much time if you did it all in this package this yeah. one package and, and i always like wonder do you work for them <laughs> because like why do you advocate so hard for this because you, that one person doesn't do all those things, right? So, oh, it sounds easy to you, right? But but you actually have to take a step back and look at well, everybody's you know needs. You know why they yeah. say that, though. They, because they, that that's the one that they know. Yeah. Well, that's the one they know, but they also think that, you know, the constant transfer from information from one, you know, one program to another or one, you know, place here, there, or the other, that that is lost productivity. Yep, and so they don't understand that, you know, as you're as you've been talking about, you know, the dialogue between all of these different softwares is, you know, the importance of where we need to, you know, where we're at, where we need to be and where we need to continue to push so that you can use the ease and functionality of all these different softwares and and not lose the also important productivity, which is the one thing that most, you know, like senior management of of any firm you know seems yeah. to focus on the most latch on to yeah. yes and i obviously everybody knows that there's there's time lost there but but we also need to be able to use the right tool for the job right and that's i think 
the most important thing to point out is that you can't do, you can't imagine all these different types of structures in the one piece of software ever. That'll never, probably never work, right? You just imagine. And if they did, man, your whole business, your whole business would be based on one piece of software. Like, Like that to me is another way to think about it is like, is that really what you want? Um, because then you're kind of at, at their mercy. And I think a lot of firms already are at the mercy of, yeah, yes. of the monolith. Um, but so, so the reason that he was talking was because, and we talked about this on a previous episode was, was Rhino inside, which basically has been a two or three year project for them is to decouple the Rhino and Grasshopper as we know it from the application that they are and allow them to be run inside just about any other program. So they're looking at having it run inside of Revit, which is the one we talked about. And it actually already is running inside of Revit. Mm-hmm. I've got it running on my laptop. And so it's it's interesting because you can run a program inside another program like it's a plugin. And but the plugin is the full program. So you can actually run the entire Rhino modeling environment and the entire Grasshopper modeling environment inside of Revit, creating Revit geometry. And so all of this previous talk about model interoperability kind of goes out the window when you can just build the model inside of Revit, but it's really being built inside of Rhino inside of Revit. So it's it's a little bit of an inception kind of a thing going on here, right? Multi-layers deep, but it's and it's just at its infancy. But man, what huge promise and no more like, going through Excel and going through all these different plugins and trying to do all these different things to get the model from one thing to another. Like you just build it there and you're done, but you get this kind of first class geometry creation engine inside of this, you know, what everybody's using to document their models. And, and I should point out that Graphisoft did present here as well. And, and they, they've already got this because they've built the, the hooks between the two programs. So you don't have to run it inside of ArchiCAD, although I'm sure you'll be able to at some point soon. You can run them completely separate but have them talk to each other without any problems. And so now McNeil just was like getting tired, I guess, of seeing all these people, all these firms create their own ways to do this over and over and over again. And they're like, you know what? We're just going to do it for everybody because Autodesk is never going to do it. We're tired of having these firms waste all their time rebuilding these tools time and time again. And and they just took it on and did it, and it's pretty pretty cool. Um, and I thought what was interesting is he t- he started out his talk and he said that he read this passage from some book. I, I can't find it. I, I I might just email him and ask him if he can pass it along. But there was an architect in 1962 talking about object oriented design and databases, and you make a modification to an element and it shows up everywhere. Like he's talking about the stuff that we're we're doing today in 1962, and and he was basically future casting. But like, look how long it's taken us to get there. It's it's pretty crazy. But somebody was actually thinking about this in the early 60s. Hmm. So pretty amazing. Yeah. So I, it was it was a great talk because he really just kind of showed how it worked, and he also showed that it could work inside of just about any other program you could imagine. So. And and some of these just don't make any sense, but he had them on the screen, so I'll say them. He had he showed an example. He didn't show an example. He just showed like a, a graphic of Rhino could run inside of Illustrator. Rhino could run inside of Microsoft Excel. Rhino could run inside of SketchUp. 
Like those are some different just to get your gears turning. Like what could I do? And so someone would say, well, why the heck would you ever run Rhino inside of Microsoft Excel? Well, again, like if you go back to that visual programming language versus writing a formula in Excel, like most people kind of cringe at the thought of trying to figure out a formula to do some complex data manipulation in Excel, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're going to Google it and you're going to copy and paste it and you're not (laughs) really going to understand how to do it. But if you can visually program a script to do math that you would normally have a really hard time writing a formula to do, you could just do it for that and have it spit out data back into Excel so you could have Rhino doing some complex thing, just data manipulation, because that's really what it's doing, and then have that drive Excel, something in Excel. So drive a spreadsheet, drive a, a chart or a graph or whatever. I mean... We do it all the time in our stuff where we're we're using Rhino to draw boxes and then having Grasshopper spit out the areas of those boxes into a visual heads-up display so that we know how much space is allocated to different departments inside of a building. I mean, that we're doing that in Rhino, but you could theoretically do that in Excel too. Hmm. So, kind of interesting, you know, when you're if if you think about like the pre-design phase when you're doing programming and you're typing out what all the spaces need to be, you could actually have it drawing the graphs for you of like that kind of stuff. Like how many, how much space is allocated to this department, that department and these different rooms and things like that could be useful for somebody who has no idea how to model anything. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, exactly. so that, that's where you start to think about that kind of stuff. Um, there were, there were lots of other, lots of other things. I feel like probably going a little long on this, but I hope that you can kind of get an idea of the value of, of a fast-paced conference like this to really just kind of get you inspired and excited about the way technology is going. And I, and I did write down a bunch of themes that I'll share, I can share right now that I really feel like is really where architecture is headed in regards to technology uh, around projects. Um, so, so the main theme really is is no longer moder- model interoperability, it's data interoperability, right? Like getting data to move around. We, I think everybody's finally realizing that the data is the important part, not necessarily the, right. the visualization of it. Um, because it goes so much deeper than just the visualization of it, right? It could be cost, it could be material, it could be area, it could be so many different things that that element is describing versus just looking at an image of it. And that's really the value in, in BIM, Right. Um, and so we're trying to get that as early in the design process as possible so that it really pays off during the BIM process and then afterwards. So down the road, when you need to mine your models for data to find out how many of this or that you've built before, like you actually can do that if you have this stuff in the model. Um, so it goes way beyond, I think, the typical architectural deliverable, which is the drawings. It go, It can go into facilities management. It can go into kind of predictive stuff later when you're going to do your next project. Well, we did this last time and it, it, it just pulls that data for you kind of a thing. Um, the other one is just model-based delivery. We talked about that before on this show quite a few times, right? Right. Like trying, trying to get away from building a model to slice it up into drawings to then rebuild it as a, as a real thing. <laughs> right. Um, but actually just deliver the model. Um, I think model shop drawing reviews, you know, why, why are we reviewing shop drawings in 2D? I think is is still a valid. It, it is a very valid question. Absolutely, because I mean, you know, the the intersection and the clashing and the conflicts between all of the different components. Uh, sorry, 
didn't mean to cut you off, but it just, nope. yeah. I totally. mean, that that's something that I, that I deal with and, and struggle with quite often. Right. Uh, team collaboration is still huge, you know, as, as everybody is staring more, more and more deeply into their screens. Mm-hmm. How do you actually get people to communicate and collaborate, uh, especially as teams are becoming more widespread? Um, lots of technical expertise in different offices and different consultants. And how do you get everybody to communicate about that? I think this is a, a huge theme that, that we keep hearing about. How are people addressing that? Um, overall model model quality, I think, is definitely a bigger and bigger thing, right? Like we are putting more and more data into our models. The models are getting more complex, not less. They're getting more information rich, not less. And so what's the right amount? Where's the balance there? Um, But then also having the model be able to work for you after the project is done with that, again, using that data. Um, Proprietary versus open formats. This is a big one, right? This is what McNeil's talking about, the fall of the monolith. Um, We're definitely, I think everybody, and this is kind of reinforced when I've, I've been to some of these large AIA large firm roundtable events is is the firms are firms are willing to work together to so that we're not reinventing the wheel everybody's not reinventing the wheel making the same things um, so i think a lot of people are leaning more towards open formats and data interoperability like we talked about in the beginning here um, and so open formats are definitely hopefully winning that that war um, because if things are just enclosed in some proprietary format, like a Revit model, an RVT file, that's the only thing that can open that file, right? right? So right. we're starting to see, and this kind of leads into my next one, which is usability and visualization by everyone, not just the people who own the software, right? So you've got to be able to have an owner look at the thing that you're you're designing. You've got to have the consultants or the project managers or somebody who doesn't know how to run the nitty gritty software, see what you're talking about. Um, and so this is something that we saw at the AI convention with, with unity, right? Where you can publish your Revit model or any model, Rhino model, it doesn't matter to a unity format that somebody could then just pull up on a web right? and spin around that model, get inside of it on any device that starts to address the by everyone part of that statement, right? Because not everyone has a, a badass computer. Not everyone has Revit. Not everyone has Rhino. Like, so how do we start to allow everybody a peek into the process when they don't necessarily have all of the, the checks of uh, the re- pre-requirements um, to do so? And so I think we're starting to see that quite a bit, right? BIM 360, you can just send somebody a link and they can look at the model online, right? Um that's what we're also seeing with Unity, mm-hmm. and I, there's some other like 3D visuals. It's amazing what you can do in a web page now, right. right? So that I think that's really the the democratization of of people seeing the model is is becoming a reality. Um, and then just the last one is just having the ability to build our own tools. I think there's never been a better time for somebody to if 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 it doesn't exist it's not hard to make it happen so with a few classes with a little bit of training with a little bit of curiosity and just motivation intrinsic motivation you can actually build just about anything that you want if the program doesn't already do it or if you need to tweak the way that it does it 
we have the ability to do that. And we're seeing all these firms, whether they're architects or structural engineers or contractors, there was a, a contractor who presented there doing complex geometry with structural concrete, and they're, they're modeling all their formwork so that they can actually figure out how they're going to build this complex concrete structure. And then they're running it through anal analysis software to see it, where it's going to deflect when they pour, right? So contractors doing it, structural engineers doing it, architects are doing it. Um, people are building their own tools to make sure that the things that they have imagined are going to be buildable. It's super cool to see. And obviously this is all cutting edge stuff. Um, so it's not for everybody, but we all know that this does trickle down to everybody eventually. Right, right. So I think the last thing that I'll just point out, uh, Stantec did a, a presentation on the Lucas Museum that's under construction down here in L.A. And Are, uh, the, are they doing it? They are the architect of record, and I think it's Mad who is the, the design okay. architect. Um, but yeah, they're doing... The, the CA, they did all the CDs, they did all the modeling. But what was interesting to me was to watch this guy stand up there and present who has lots of gray and white hair <laughs> and say, um, basically, they had to develop a completely new way of working. And and I don't know what you guys know about Stantec, but they're enormous. They're, yeah. they're huge. Like every week they acquire three new firms. Right? Yeah, so, I, I actually worked for SHW Group who was bought acquired. by... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so what was interesting was like they had to basically develop completely new ways of working to deliver this project. One of the one of the requirements for this project was no drawings. It had to all be model based. Wow. I mean, that was by the owner, right, which is Lucas, wow. right? So it it all and and they had never done anything like that. And and what was interesting to me was watching this gray hair guy say, um, "We can't even go back to the way that we used to work a year ago, and we won't." And to just have that kind of Outlook is really impressive. That's yeah, yeah. I was going <laughs> to say because that, you don't see that very often. I mean that that's what we need. I mean that's I mean we've we've talked about this you know at nauseum on this show multiple times about you know what is it going to take to kind of push through. Now I would it be takes very, us. I, well, I mean, actually, I would be very the, interested. The, the larger us. Well, you know, we we've talked about roadblocks for you know doing a model based delivery. You know, an entire model-based delivery process and one of the ones and, and even you know hearkening back to the conversation we had with um with shop was one of the biggest roadblocks we see is municipalities you know fire marshals and things like that because they don't have something paper and tangible to either review or react to um and so they're they're reviewing it you know in a 3d world which they're not necessarily i mean even though we all agree that they're always going to review it in a 3D world when we're there walking around the building and making sure that the fire extinguishers are in the right locations and the strobes are in the right place and so on and so forth. And so why not do that in a more, you know, VR type uh, delivery? And, and so right. I, I would be very... Actually see it. Yeah. And, and so like when you're seeing it um, in the conceptual and design phase before it even exists you're basically you're you've, you've already got ingrained in your memory where things are when you're walking through that particular floor and you know 
you can like walk side by side with okay you know here is the model and here's what i saw during concept you know you know construction or conceptual design Mm -hmm. and now here it is during construction and i said it was okay to have the exit signs right here and sure enough those exit signs where i approved them are exactly where they are we're good to go you know, I mean, it is as basic as that sounds. I mean, that's an that's an important hurdle for us to get over because, you know, as as I'm currently finding out right now that I I had a project and it's, you know, closing, you know, it's closing in on closeout. Or at least substantial completion. And even though they reviewed the documents, the 2D documents for all of the locations for all the different uh, exit signs they're finding out that they're actually requiring more because there's some obstructions or things like that that don't that kind of block your line of sight to that and so they're saying okay well even though you have a exit sign right there five feet away I want another exit sign because I can't see that one when I'm standing here mm-hmm. you know and, that, and that's kind of a sort of a shame on us kind of thing and and stuff like that but you know, you catch those things early on in the design and, you know, you put that, that, um, that AHJ in that corner where he's standing and saying, okay, you, I saw that you had an exit sign there, but I can't see the exit sign from here. You know, I would say move it over here or add another one here. What is your design solution? Mm-hmm. And so we catch it beforehand and not have to like say, oh, yeah, we got two exit signs now. They're like five feet apart. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and yep. it and, happens. Yeah, and it happens. But I mean, I guess where I was going with that is like, so the roadblocks that, you know, we have where or at least maybe it's the perceived roadblocks that we have with AHJs right now. And I don't think it's perceived. I think it's a, a reality as of right now because people just don't have that kind of technology um, when it comes to the AHJ side of things. But I would be very interested to watch the process with with the with the Lucas um, Museum uh, and and how if it's just going to be, if it's not going to be a document based delivery process and it's going to be purely one hundred percent model based how do they get over those hurdles right. and then use those hurdles or at least use using those achievements of getting over those hurdles as a way to move other AHJs in um, further along so that we can kind of advance this and get away from, you know, the document-based delivery process and push more towards the model-based delivery process. Because, I mean, shit, we spend tons of time building a model to then turn around and dissect that model into pieces so that we can put it on a piece of paper to then, you know, represent it as a 2D form when I could sit there and walk through my, like, currently right now, uh, not quite as we speak, but, you know, when I'm not sitting right here talking to you guys, I'm working on my design development um, package that I is due next week. And so we have modeled up. We've got a really good model and there are, you know, a few places that we need to tweak and hone, but I mean, we've got a really good model and I could spend more time tweaking and honing those uh, few places that we need to like work out a little bit more. 
but I have to stop and I have to go through and cut all the different sections and all yep. the different plan details and all the different section details. And then, you know, the elevations and stuff. I mean, and then place them on the documents and take the entire team that I have that could be working on the actual model to make sure that the model is right and tight to stop and actually do the 2d delivery method. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about like, you know, I always preach about productivity and, and loss of productivity or increase in productivity and stuff. I want to talk about the, as we're doing it right now, as we're fully documenting a building in the model based process and to stop into just, recreate it all in a 2d delivery that's the biggest like time suck that is the biggest loss of productivity that we have today in architecture yeah and i think on top of that honestly like this isn't something that needs to be a solution for everybody right like the hjs the whoever the plan check agencies are they just need to offer more options for this kind of thing. They don't need to take away the current way to do it to to do this new way, right? It, we're just talking about we're just talking about adding this <laughs> as an option. Um, but but I think because so, I think there's a lot of architects out there who are like, I'm never going to do model based delivery ever, right? I, I draw in 2D. I'm never going to draw in 3D, and it's fine. Like they're not going to stop checking your plans either. True. Um, but I think we're talking about the next phase and yes. moving yes. our profession forward. And that, that that's important for so many reasons because of the complexities and the coordination issues and all these things. And because of how much time is actually wasted making those documents. And then to complicate things even further, the graphic nature of those documents, oh, right? God, which, yes. which architects love to complain about mm. with technology, <laughs> especially and the, the level of control that we have over that, like that, it really shouldn't be an issue anymore because all we're doing is making the model now. We shouldn't worry about the graphic quality because on but one level, like it does matter because that's how we communicate. But on the other level, it doesn't matter anymore, right? So, so there's that argument in there as well. Um, line weights which matter. They they do matter, right? They definitely matter right now. <laughs> I know. And we and we're wasting our time worrying about that, right? Yes. Because because we didn't used to waste our time. That's how we drew. But now we have to make the tool draw it like we want it, which is wasting our time. Figuring that out over and building that stuff into our templates, like all that kind of stuff. Um, so, so there's so many angles to the lost productivity argument that mm-hmm. really come into play when you t- when when you talk about model based delivery. So, right, uh, in- interesting. Uh, I guess just the last thing is that I did get to speak at this conference, so that was kind of cool. Um, Karen emailed me like the week before and said, Hey, is there anything that you'd like to talk about? Because I've got an open slot. She, she was trying to fill the last, the, the actual BIM bops at the end, which are the five minute slots. And I said, yeah, I could definitely talk about, um, the thing that I talked about in New York, which is the, the transforming your practice for the new future thing. And she said that if it'll end on a high note, I will let you go last. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, like, so I thought that was pretty cool. So I said, I will definitely make it end on a high note. And so I got to go last. And um, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I just thought it's kind of the neat punctuation mark on the end of the on the end of the conference. So I don't know what it is, but like I'm I basically had to cut a 
15 to 20 minute talk down to five minutes. And I, I actually completely tweaked it to make it a different message and outcome for this thing, because I really did want it to end on a high note and be kind of a cheerleader for us, the, the, the royal us of we're all in this together. We're, we all need to take what we learned today back and we need to share it and share it and share it. And I mean, that's what we're doing right now on this podcast. Um, that's what basically my job is, is to get people excited about the direction that we're headed and inspire them and show what's possible. And I think a lot of times people just tend to keep these kinds of conference information to themselves. And they think because a lot of people saw it that the information is out there. But in truth, I mean, you're talking about like the 0.0001% of the profession was in the room to see this and it wasn't recorded and it wasn't streamed and the information's not out there. And so you've got 200 people who saw this information and what are they going to do with it, right? It's basically our job, the people in that room, to go out and share this information with everybody and let them know what they're seeing and how excited they are about it um, and so that was really kind of the idea behind my talk. Um, and it's a, it's just a variation on my theme of evolved or dissolve, right? You, your firm is right. either going to evolve or you're not going to be around in the future. Um, I mean, you might be, but you might be on life support, right? So to me that that's really like, like it's a little bit of a dark title, but really the, oh, the, the outcome is where we are all in this together and we need to evolve together and we need to, basically stealing this from the CEO of my company, which his mantra is talk, tell, transform. And and that's what it's about. It's about communication, right? Communicate, communicate, communicate. And so we need to talk, we need to tell, we need to transform. We need to not only transform our firms, we also need to transform our profession and we need to do it together. So I added the together to the end of talk, tell, transform together. And I think that 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 is really the message that so many people need to hear. And I hope people hear that in this yeah. podcast as we've gone through this series and, and talked about technology and the exciting things behind it, because I know that there are some curmudgeons out there who are, they eye roll every time they hear about the, the latest thing and what people are excited about because it's not the way that they did it. But at the same time, like we can't hold ourselves back. We have to move into the future. We have to move into the now Mm-hmm. And we have to do that together. Like, let's stop all living in our own little silos of protecting our intellectual property and, and this and that. Like, let's move the profession together um, because these are not the things that differentiate your firm. It's your people who differentiate your firm. It's your idea generation factory that you've got in the people that you've got in the cool things that you can do. It's not necessarily it's it's not the technology. Everybody's doing the same tech. So that that's my that was my talk, and I think it went over well. I got some nice comments at the end and is, got to meet some listeners of the podcast and stuff. Is there an uh, opportunity to hear this? Uh, I mean, did they video this? So funny funny story there. Uh, no, they didn't They didn't video it. I've, I had my camera set up, and my memory card filled up about halfway through because oh. right, my other memory card was sitting on my desk at home. Good place for it. And the the backup camera was not recording. So luckily my one of my colleagues recorded the whole thing on her phone <laughs> and she sent it to me. <laughs> so I'm one of my one of my to-do lists is to make a I'm going to make a YouTube video and post that and once I do I'll I'll Please get the link out there. Yeah, that'd be great to share with everybody cuz cuz I think, you know, I mean that is actually a, a great way to end the whole um you know, not just this series that we're talking about but also like you know, that the bimbop, um, you know, it's a great way to kind of end it because, you know, we need to talk about where we go next. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and it's we're just constantly going right. Like right, I think that's <laughs> we've seen these huge transitions in our profession. Right, we've yeah. seen paper to CAD, two D drafting, still two yep. D drafting, but yep. now anybody can do it. Like probably not a good idea, and then. 2D drafting to 3D modeling and then 3D modeling to BIM. I mean, those are, I mean, there's, there's some gray area there, but those were huge shifts. Like the huge shifts are gone. Now it is just going, 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 continual ramp of change. And, and it's like, get used to it, right? If you're not changing, you're dead is basically what I'm, what I think. So yeah, when you talk about like where we're going, we're always going somewhere now. We're not looking for the next big thing. We're just looking for how to continually do what we do better, smarter, maybe faster, but but maybe using that speed to instead give us more time to do the thing that we're good at, which is design and ideas. Um, not It's not just about efficiency and going faster, right? It's mm-hmm. hopefully about like just moving that block of time somewhere else. So right, that we can right. make make our buildings even better and have our buildings impact more people in a better way, kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, that yes, perfect, cool. Well, it's a fun series. I think I talked way too much. No, not at all. I mean, because again, I'm an I'm an oversharer. <laughs> well, I mean, to summarize the kind of point that we were driving home here is that the direction of the profession moving forward really should be oversharing so that we can enrich the entire uh, community of, you know, the profession rather than everybody just kind of like trying to protect their own and trying to just stay in their own little bubble. I mean, the way for us to build better, better buildings, you know, and you constantly keep reading, um, you know, issues of like sustainability and how, uh, you know, we as a building profession contribute, you know, God awful amounts of, you know, toxins into the, uh, um, into the environment from our buildings and stuff like that. And so, you know, as we were using the technology and we're using open share to learn how to build better buildings, but, you know, it's only through the oversharing that we're ever going to really be able to kind of like curtail a lot of these different things. So, you know, whether it's, you know, sharing just the information to actually document and, and build it or to make the building even better so that it's an environmentally, you know, safer, you know, product to, to put out into the world. Um, you know, we, we need to overshare. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I mean, that's one thing that I've really taken to heart, in my role at HMC is like we started live streaming once a week, mm-hmm. what we're doing in digital practice, because we're going to show people behind the scenes of how we develop a tool over time, like all the different constraints we're dealing with, the different people that we're trying to serve with it. What should the tool even do? What should it be? We know we have this need, but what else could it be? Who else could it involve? Uh, so we're live streaming that, right? Because we're, our mantra is to share. Um, so, we're trying to do it like every Thursday at 10 or 1030 or something like we're still trying to nail down the the thing before we go widespread with it. But you can watch the first two episodes on HMC Architects YouTube channel and they're about an hour each. And it's really just like the first one was we're streaming how, how we're starting to create the tool in grasshopper. But the second one was just a live design charrette with different people sitting, trying to define what this thing should be. So, 
I'm, I'm trying to take it different directions. It's not just staring at somebody's screen for an hour. It's also the interactive part that we're doing as the charrette. And, and who knows where it'll go. Um, it's what we do with this podcast. I mean, it's this really is like I want to start a podcast at HMC where I'm pulling in designers and we're talking about how they're implementing these tools and these practices and, and how are they sharing them out. Like there's lots of ways that media and the Internet allow us to share. There's no excuse not to. Um, whether it's a very short blog post, whether it's an Instagram post, whether it's a, a Twitter thread, whether it's, you know, there's so many ways you could do it. You have no excuse not to. And it really does enrich people. People do go out looking for this stuff and they do find it. Um, so so if you think that your contribution won't matter, it absolutely will matter because it's part of the the whole mindset, the, all of the data that's out there that really helps move things forward. So I really encourage people to share everything that they're doing, no matter how big or small or seemingly unimpressive or impressive it might be, um, put it out there because it does help people for sure. Mm-hmm. Any other parting thoughts? Proceed and be bold. That's a good one. I actually had a, a part of my <laughs> my talk that I didn't end with that, but that is exactly the sentiment. Right. Yep. Proceed and be bold. Do cool stuff. Jump off the cliff and learn to fly on the way down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, don't bold. do that. Don't do that at home, kids. <laughs>
throughout. So it'll be nice to take a little break from that and take a break from podcasting for a little bit while we head off for the summer and, um, you know, go on extravagant vacations. And, oh, yeah, because that's what we do, right? That's what we do, yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your extravagant vacation? So I'm I'm actually heading to Seattle next week. Uh, we just finished up the Bimbop thing and finishing up some some business around the office. You heading headed to, to Seattle next week for a conference um, where I'm I'm just going to be a spectator, which will be nice. That's I won't excellent. have to stress out. We have a few people in the office uh, heading out there uh, as well. Cool. And we see Jonathan there, or who who's going to go? Um, we have a guy named Noah okay. who is there, and then also. Uh, fellow teammate of mine on my current project uh terry graham she'll be out there nice the uh the brain trust of the bim on our yeah on our projects so well you got to feed them right on that kind of stuff for sure yes and we've we've yeah. got a noah going as well and we've got nancy and shweta and john we've got people from different offices going oh, which is going to be really that's cool good. so we're not just keeping it all in our our uh Singular, the singular headquarter. Yeah, the mothership silo. <laughs> uh, trying to trying to get it out there and get more exposure for people so they can they can participate and get excited about this stuff too. So well, I mean, I'm excited. It's going to be cool. If that's not what we talked about on this show, you know, getting yeah. out and expanding the conversation and making sure that everybody is part of the conversation to make sure that the profession itself continues to grow and share information, ideas, and a vision forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that was, that was pretty much the message of that Bimbop talk that I did. And I just wanted to put a plug in here because on Monday, uh, the same day as that this podcast goes up, I've scheduled my YouTube video post and it actually includes that whole talk. It's only five minutes. So, um, excellent. Look forward to hearing what people say about that who didn't get to go. So then after that, we're headed to Hawaii for a couple of weeks and we're not planning anything out. We're just going. Okay, so, so, you know, at first, you know, we always talk about, oh, we're going camping, we're doing extravagant this, that. No, you <laughs> yeah. actually are going on an extravagant vacation. So oh, here's yeah, what I'm looking forward to. Island hopper. Yeah, yeah. So so here, first time the kids are leaving the mainland, which is cool. Uh, we're taking everybody. And normally, you know, we do the road trip camping thing um, or Airbnb slash motel room, you know, roadside motel on the way somewhere. And we're, Oh, I know we're, that very well. Yeah, you know it really well. So... <laughs> Yeah, and reminder, hey, you got to post more of your Fuji pictures from that trip. I do. I do. I That would be good. We've been uh I mean, unfortunately, when I got back from that trip, I um completely just immersed myself in a deadline for a project which just wrapped up. And so now I can actually get back to something yeah. fun and um, sleep a little. Kind of well, <laughs> Yes. Dude. I would really want to sleep. What was your, what was your timeline for that? The timeline for the project, the sleep, yes, or the your awakenedness. Oh. <laughs> Dude, uh, brutal. This, Sounded brutal. Yeah, this past week. Um, I mean, I think it was. It was. I mean, it wasn't like my most extreme, but with commuting and everything else. Well, not including in commuting. Uh, it was sixty-five point five hours of work from Monday That's to Friday. not condoned by the owners of this podcast. <laughs> no, it is not. It is not. But, uh, and then throw in the hour, 10, hour, 15 minutes to, and then hour, 10, hour, 15 minutes from, um, and the, you know, sleep laden, again, not condoned, um, drives. 
um yeah it was a uh, it was long it was long it, you know it's one of those in everybody out there unfortunately has experienced and felt this that when you go on vacation especially near close to or just before and all of mine were at the above uh deadline and you've got multiple th- multiple things going on the project and so sometimes you know team members were being pulled in in opposite directions and things like that where not everything was you know able to get accomplished so when you know and a couple of guys you know took vacation at the same time me included we come back and of course it's just the mad dash scramble for all hands on deck making sure that the you know the set that's put out and, and yes, it was a DD set, but it's a pretty important DD set because we're doing a lot of early release stuff so that it's got to have one of those like really in-depth informational um, DD sets. It's, let's just call it more like a 50% CD set, dude. Oh, geez. You know, um, and so, you know, it was that, that intensive of, of information. I think we counted and I believe we had just like one shy i think it was 699 sheets <laughs> that a, sounds like a good, a good number set <laughs> it doesn't feel as heavy as 700 i well you know it was funny i was just like come on guys we're not trying <laughs> can't hard we enough. do one more can't sheet? we find one more sheet just so we can make it <laughs> you need a whole seven. sheet that just has a little line of text in the middle says this page intentionally left blank that'd be great i i never thought of that or <laughs> You have reached the end and put it at the very back of the it. end. Fin, F-I-N. There you go. Very end. Yeah. And scene. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I am kind of looking forward to both sleep and um, getting back to just kind of like wrapping up. Normal uh, re- work. Well, yeah. reviewing, editing. Work. The, um, actually, what's funny is that so my family knew that when I came back, it was going to be, um, you know, kind of a project completion nightmare so they're like yeah. okay so uh, you have fun we're going we'll see you later <laughs> so they went on their own vacation without me <laughs> oh man it well is, i mean if you look, were on that vacation you would be working probably look, so they knew that they weren't going to get anything out of me this past week and a half that they've been gone and the, i mean yeah what was great is that i could stay late without guilt and i could get up and go into the office early without guilt and called yeah. it a day yeah. Again, not cool. condoned by the uh, publishers <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, like we normally do this roadside motel thing. I guess that's where we went off on the rabbit trail. And I, um, I'm just not going to do that this year. We're not going to unpack and repack every day or two while luxury. we're while we're doing the the thing. So got a got a condo using points. Got some cheap nice. flights. Gonna not plan anything out and just go and do as we please when we want to do it and kind of relax. So a couple of weeks off, it'll be nice. Excellent. I mean, yeah. that sounds fantastic. It um, actually sounds like a vacation. Like this is it this does. is gonna be way less of a trip than usual. So I like to make the distinction between the two. A but trip. we'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll see anyway i mean that's it for us i don't uh it's we're trying to get away from the heat all of a sudden it got you know it's it's 105 here now and our we don't have whole house air conditioning like like other people do uh so i, I don't think you do either right oh, i've got whole house do you yep. <laughs> oh you're so lucky 
Uh, so I might have to turn it down because it's kind of cold here. <laughs> Jab that in there a little bit. <laughs> oh, so yeah, it's painful right now. Like the he- house just heats up all day, and then it just. Luckily, our whole house fan like it does cool off it enough at night to pull some cool air in and cool us down. But it takes hours to get to that point. So it'll be nice to get away from the the heat wave that we're experiencing right now. So I will say one to one thing architecturally related um, about my house because there's not much architecture related about my house, <laughs> but is the way that the house is oriented. We've got these really big windows that are south facing. And no insulation because of the year that the house is built. Yeah. And so throughout the day, it just sucks in heat. And yesterday, as I was driving home and I was um, talking to my family as I was driving back home, I was telling them, oh, yeah, it's 101 degrees outside. And when I came home, because I usually turn the AC up because no one's in the house, um, I got home and it felt, I mean, it was like I, I could have cooked open like on the oven. floor oh yeah. yeah and it was uh it was deathly so you know i kind of kinked it down a little bit you know yeah. first world problem there you guys are in the same boat yeah. you got the humidity though so, yeah <sighs> beautiful humidity uh, <laughs> anyway i think that's a, that's good capper for our our i don't know season finale our yeah. series finale whatever you want to call it and, and uh, we're going to take some time off and and we'll come back with with another topic and uh do a do a second run this year and stories, stories about uh, volcano running and Waikiki, and maybe yeah. you do like big wave some, surfing. Yeah. There you go, shark, sharks. Yep, all that, all the danger, all the time. Make sure you bring your uh, shark repellent. <laughs> yeah, they sell that at REI. <laughs> Batman, Batman oh, used it. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> all right, right, so signing off. Until next time. Until next time.